As we turn to the Bible this morning, I invite you to grab your Bible and to turn to the book of James, where we will be looking at James chapter 3, verse 17, in just a few moments. But let's start this morning with a question. Do you think that the world and society in which we live now is better than it was, say, 50 years ago? Or do you think it's taken a slide for the worse? Depending on who you ask and where they are, or depending on the specifics you have in mind, I think you would get quite a different answer to your question. Ask someone in India, for example, who remembers what it was like 50 years ago, and I think they would say that things now are much better. In the last 50 years, India has made huge economic strides, and for many, their standard of living would be way better now than it was then. Ask someone in Vietnam, and they may say that things are now better because in 1970, their country was being decimated by a war that had ravaged their country for over five years and was going to keep ravaging it for another four years or so. Ask a 20-something person living in New York City, and they may say that things are far worse right now because of COVID. Or ask someone in Calgary if things are better or worse for us now than they were, say, 20 years ago, and they would likely say that things are far worse because of the stark decline of the oil and gas industry that has driven the economy in our city. Even if I ask the same question with reference to the subject we're going to be thinking about for the next little while on Sunday mornings, which is the question of wisdom, and I ask, are people or is the world generally wiser or filled with wisdom more today than it was 50 years ago? The answer could be quite different depending on how you're thinking of the question. How are we defining wisdom would be a reasonable question. Because if possessing wisdom includes moral goodness, for example, someone living on the outskirts of Los Angeles might say that things are much worse. If wisdom refers to something like realizing that smoking is bad for you, that drunk driving is wrong, or that eating foods with less sugar in them is a good plan, well, then I'd say the world's actually wiser. If you live in Alabama and you're thinking about wisdom and its relation to political choices, you might think that the world is wiser because people in the U.S. were smart enough to vote for Donald Trump, put him into office. If you live in Boston, you might think that the world is less wise because people in the U.S. were foolish enough to put Donald Trump into office. One thing that I can confidently say about the current state of things is that wisdom is a crucial need in the world in which we now live. If we're going to help preserve the human race and make our world and our society as survivable and as pleasant a place to live in as possible, wisdom is greatly called for. Our wisdom now is needed for the sake of our children and our children's children. And I would say that this is especially the case for Christian wisdom. The world needs Christian wisdom, which always includes the impact of God on what we take wisdom to be, and so refers to God-centered or theological wisdom. Now, I suppose even secular wisdom, or one of the brands of wisdom that is found in various philosophies or in other faiths, would be valued as a corrective to the what seems sometimes like the total absence of wisdom that we seemingly see present in so much of society. But how much more might the world benefit if a biblical, God-centered, kingdom-building wisdom was heavily to influence a large part of our world. In fact, we should ask, how much greater would the church's impact on our world be if the church possessed more wisdom? Wisdom is certainly needed if we're going to bring the impact of the kingdom into the lives of those around us, if we're going to lend the Lord a hand in increasing his presence in our world. 
So we're going to let the Lord guide us through a study of wisdom over the next little while and see the ways in which he can transform us by thinking deeply about his wisdom. So I want to start then with this question. What exactly is wisdom? Now, English dictionaries define wisdom as experience, knowledge, understanding, and sound judgment applied to life's choices. Or they might define wisdom, as it's sometimes been said, to be knowledge and practical expertise applied to a question or problem. It's been defined as being able and willing to give and or take to the heart the very best advice and instruction, whatever that exactly is, without pride getting in the way. I don't know if you've ever seen City Slickers. In this movie, the trail boss, Curly, says to one of the guests of the dude ranch that he runs, you know what the secret of life is? It's one thing, just one thing. You stick to that. And when the visitor to the dude ranch asks the old cowboy, what's the one thing? Curly quickly answers, well, that's what you've got to figure out. Well, in the next few weeks, we aren't so much going to figure out what wisdom is as much as let the Lord tell us what wisdom is. Here's one big point I think we need to make clear from the very outset. The biggest difference between Christian or even Jewish wisdom and the common dictionary definition of wisdom is its direct relationship to God. So that wisdom for the Christian is really only wisdom when God is the determiner, governor, and definer of any human wisdom. Genuine wisdom, the deepest, most meaningful, and ultimately the most helpful wisdom, must in the end be determined by who God is and by his will for humankind, and then by the willingness of those who are his people to follow his wisdom in determining their own. Now, I think the same goes for a number of Christian virtues. Happiness is only really happiness when it's in line with or includes recognition of God. I'd say the same is true about peace or satisfaction or joy, or knowledge, and certainly righteousness. You can, of course, have a kind of wisdom that doesn't include the Lord. And so you can say things like, well, he's been wise with his money. Or he's wise when it comes to knowing the best way to use wood from an oak tree to make the strongest doorframe. Or she wisely came in to avoid the rain so that she didn't get cold and wet or become hypothermic. He wisely stopped eating ice cream every night before bed which is actually one that Robin would like me to abide by. Or Max Mooney wisely stopped wearing Edmonton Oilers jerseys, we could say, and started cheering for Johnny Gaudreau and the Flames. Now there's some real wisdom, Max, that you should listen to. But the kind of wisdom we're talking about is bigger than those things. You might say that it's real wisdom and not just knowledge. It's not just intelligence or a developed skill. Biblical wisdom, Christian wisdom, is intentionally applying God's will in our lives so that we are wise when we let his will influence the biggest decisions we make. We'll be wise when we let it shape our personalities and our actions and our priorities, the way we view and treat people. Our characters will be shaped by wisdom when we allow God to shape us by his spirit. And we'll be acting wisely when we allow God to transform us so that we might better serve him. There's some real wisdom in simply asking the old question, what would Jesus do? 
Well, we're going to hear again later in our series, when we look at the book of Proverbs, what Proverbs means by wisdom. But biblical wisdom is defined most often in Proverbs as simply the fear of the Lord. And I invite you to think about that. We need to flesh that out some, but it's a pretty good place to start, especially when we define our fear of the Lord in the relational way, the life-giving way, I think Proverbs defines it. So you've got your Bibles open to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and I want you to look there, and I want to read this with you. Here scripture says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such so-called wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wow. Clearly, Christian wisdom includes and maybe can even be defined by a certain lifestyle driven by what James says comes down to us from heaven. Do we treat people in a way that is given to us by God? Now, in addition to all this, wisdom can be thought of not just as a lifestyle, but even as the possession of a certain perspective and a view about life and spiritual things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul quotes Isaiah, where God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And that's because, as Paul says a few verses later, the foolishness of God is actually wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is actually stronger than human strength. He goes on to say that he does not speak a message that is the wisdom of this age or from the rulers of this age, but that he declares God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. He speaks words not taught to him by human wisdom, but words taught to him by the Spirit so that he can explain spiritual realities in spiritual words. You know, biblically, in the Old Testament, Chakmah is the word most frequently found for wisdom in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, while Sophia is the word most frequently found in the New Testament, and that's a Greek word. I'm not sure how many ladies have been named Chakmah, but many have been named Sophia, joining all these ladies named, who, uh, named Zoe who have been named after key biblical ideas. It's kind of cool to think that after our study, Maybe Christian parents would choose the name Sophia for their little girl because they desire for her to grow up in possession of the Lord's wisdom. Well, you might feel today like growing spiritually wise is a long ways away for you, or is too big of a challenge given our circumstances or even our own personal challenges. Or you might even feel like it's a bit impractical. But I would say that if you're being challenged financially or with poor health, or with fracturing relationships, or with depression or loneliness, possessing profound spiritual wisdom in response to how we are feeling can be one of the most fruitful factors in the Lord being able to lift you out of the hole you're in. 
It may be difficult at first trying to apply God's wisdom in your life, but I promise that it's going to pay off in the end. Growing in spiritual wisdom can be like the ups and downs in a roller coaster ride. We need to understand that the way down we face at the start is only preparation for the way up. It's wisdom that allows us to see this and to stick with the journey, all the while placing our confidence in the God of wisdom who wants to fill us with his wisdom. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what have often been called the wisdom books of the Old Testament. And then we're going to add on to that looks at the wisdom in, in the New Testament and in the life and teachings of Jesus. You know, it's so clear to me that if we all gained in wisdom, that we as individuals and the church as a collective body, and the, even the world around us would all be better off because God's powerful wisdom would be increasing among us. I think it'd be really satisfying for each of us to think that we were actually adding wisdom into the lives of others or into the world. Now, if we're wise, this satisfaction wouldn't come from thinking that we're better than others or from being glad that they might think highly of us because we're wise, but from knowing that because we sought out God's wisdom, and aligned our lives with it, that God was able not only to bring the kind of fulfillment to us that only comes to those who possess his wisdom, but that he was able through us to raise the level of profound spiritual wisdom in the world, so that Christ, through his church, would be helping the world conform to the desires God has always held for his creation. Let me close today with a reading from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. You can turn there if you'd like to. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, where the setting is a banquet, and wisdom is the host of the banquet, and the host is offering an invitation to the simple to grow. So wisdom says to the simple, come, grow, come to my banquet. Here's what it says. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and her mixed wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And I'm praying that as we go through this study together, that you're going to accept that invitation to come, walk in the way of insight, eat at wisdom's banquet table. God is going to bless you. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege we have of reading in your word thoughts about wisdom. And I pray, God, that as we go through this study, that our hearts will be open, our minds will be open, that we'll listen to your word, that we'll be influenced by your spirit. And that through your word coming into our lives and transforming us, that we'll have eyes and thoughts, understanding, that see wisdom, that crave wisdom, that long for wisdom. Help us, God, to become purveyors of your wisdom in our world, that your wisdom might transform this world that so badly needs your wisdom. And thank you for Jesus 
who makes his wisdom possible for us to receive. And it's through him that we pray. Amen.